Welcome to Sorry for Apologizing. I'm your host, Missy Modell, activist, strategist, and recovering chronic apologizer. In this podcast, we'll explore all of the ways women have been conditioned by society to play small, whether it's being expected to have children, tolerate chronic pain, or accept gender inequities from orgasms to paychecks. This season, we'll work to challenge the cultural beliefs that brought us here and discuss all of the reasons why we should be asking for forgiveness rather than permission. It is time to stop apologizing. Sorry for apologizing. On today's episode, we have Claire Wasserman, who is an educator, author, and founder of Lays Get Paid, a platform, global community, and book that helps women earn more and live better. Claire, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm genuinely so excited to have you on because I've been on my own personal financial journey. I grew up where I didn't learn about money and managing finances. And it's it's kind of at a moment where it's all catching up to me and feeling behind. So I just thought as we talk about women and the ways in which society keeps us small, there's no better conversation to have than as it relates to money. Yes. And by the way, me too. Did not talk about money growing up. No formal or informal financial education at all. I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you what I learned in school, but I wish it was financial education. Yeah. I mean, I think on another note, it should definitely be part of our curriculum in high school. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, because how else do we all learn? It's usually the hard way, right? It's making mistakes. It's getting mm-hmm. into the debt. Uh, there's so much emotional shame piled on top of it. And it's also very intimidating. There's a lot of acronyms. It's not easy, but it's learnable. And mm-hmm. nobody comes out of the womb knowing this stuff. No, we don't. And I also love that it's ladies get paid. I, I just think it's so great. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. And you know what's even better? When you come up with a name and there's the URL is available for $12. Wow. Unheard of. That is very exciting. I think also as women, we're just from a young age taught to believe that we are not good with money, which I think is such an important part of the conversation. We're frivolous spenders. And then as we get older, we don't invest as early. We don't know how to pay off debt or we're unable to pay off debt. So I kind of want to just dive right in if that works for you. So finance wasn't something you spoke about growing up. So do you feel that there is this expectation as women to, to be less focused on finances? I think it all starts with representation because that's the first subconscious way is that we can imagine ourselves in our lives, right? So yeah. you don't look like you in a certain position. It's it's hard to think that you could become that. And the vast majority of people in finance are men from whether it's, you know, your accountant, your typical accountant, or, you know, people who, you know, are the traders on the floor, Right. And so there's already, from an industry standpoint, intimidation when it comes to that. There's also the expectation, or there had been in at least, you know, middle upper class families that men would be the primary breadwinner. That's, of course, changing. But how do we learn? It's usually from what's modeled before us. So if you grew up in a household where your mom didn't work or do the finances, you might just assume, all right, I'm not going to need to know those skills either. And it's really unfortunate, but 56% of married women leave investment and long-term financial planning decisions to their husband, okay? And we also don't you know, invest in retirement or retirement funds as much as men, which is doubly unfortunate because we actually live longer. So whether or not it's we don't see ourselves modeled and we're intimidated by that and it's hard to imagine ourselves you know, going into the field or participating in the field or the examples that were set by our mothers, we also, though, have seen our mothers potentially learn the hard way. There's a lot of women who come to the Ladies Get Paid community who say, I learned from my mom that the 
best thing I could do was be independent financially, is to never rely on a man, to always have your own nest egg, to not bury my head in the sand. And that and that was because they watched, you know, whether the mother went through a divorce or whatever. So it's definitely changing. Gen Z, for sure, is a lot more savvy. They might, I'm 36. So, you know, if you had somebody who was maybe 10 years younger, they might look at you and go, of course, there's an expectation for women to be as savvy as men. But I, in my millennial experience, I find it's a lot of women when they turn 30, they realize, oh crap, I got to get my, you know, I didn't know this stuff. And, and yeah, perhaps there was the default of, well, my, the, my husband will take care of me because he'll make more money. Wage gap. Yeah, he might, but yikes, let's not ever rely on somebody to take care of ourselves. And it wasn't that long ago when the Equal Credit Opportunity Act was signed into law. 1974, women weren't even able to apply for a credit card or open a bank account or even take out a mortgage without their husband's permission. So if they're a single woman, what do you do in that circumstance? Right. Yeah. And there's a trickle down effect, right? So like, yeah, the law might change, but then it takes time for the mentality to, to shift again of more independence, less reliance. We also carry more debt, by the way. Uh, and especially black women carry the most student debt. Okay. So we're already starting our careers saddled with a deficit. Okay. On top of making less on top of already be, you know, not investing, which by the way, if you don't have any money at all, then of course you're not going to invest. So there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg there. Yeah. I think it really just begins with knowing that it's learnable. Okay. Anyone can do this. Start by self-education then join a community. Recognize that you're not alone. Don't be afraid to ask the quote dumb questions because when you do, you're doing a favor for somebody else. Everybody has these questions or at least did at some point. And what's so wonderful about women I find is that we really like to help each other. We're very collaborative. So I just want to get women talking more about money and ambition because men have done that. Anyway, like they're all trading stock tips, right? But I think we become so good at this because we are just inherently, again, communicators and collaborators and community builders, right? Mm-hmm. So we can take all of that energy and just direct it towards building wealth. My gosh, I mean, more for me, by the way, does not mean less for you. Yeah. If I tell you how I got a raise and how we're raising our prices and we're making a lot of money as a business, don't think of that as bragging. Think about that as inspiring, Absolutely. And I'm just so curious, how did you even get into this? So what was the first resource you picked up or what was the first question you had that kind of led you to believe, oh my God, I need to get educated? So it started, long story short, I had a pretty sexist experience that just startled me awake to Hmm. in general and started doing research around Gap and was searching for something tangible, you know, beyond kind of quitting my job and being an activist. How could I do something on Monday that might help this freaking wage gap, right? Because I kind of pinpointed that as if I had to make one change to help women, it would be economic power. And it wasn't until a friend came to me who said that she realized that she was not charging as much as her male counterparts. She was a freelance art director, very talented. And for her, it was both lack of information. She didn't know what to charge or where to go to talk about it. But second, and this is the part I was most interested in, why did she immediately think she should charge less? Like, well, the worthiness part. So it's this dual thing of it's not just information, but it's also how you feel about the information. My aha moment was I may not be able to close the wage gap on a policy level like that. 
for me instinctually didn't feel right. But as an individual, I could help women negotiate their salaries, or I could at least start the conversation around it, getting women to share how much they make. And that was a place, at least, you know, a first step. Mm-hmm. And I am director of marketing for a company called WorkingNotWorking.com, which helps connect freelancers for work in advertising, tech, and design, mm-hmm. uh, and had done something similar to that before. So I had amassed a very large network, a professional network, and had had this really interesting bird's eye view of hiring. So I want to be clear. I'm not a personal finance expert. I consider myself more of a career coach uh, that just started in salary negotiation as a point of interest. And then, I mean, you could teach somebody to make more money, but then what do you do with the money? Again, exactly. You, like it's all holistic. So it's fascinating. And it's not just your work and not just your money. I mean, it's it's your life and it's your generational, it's the generations after you that are going to be impacted by the decisions you make today with your career and your money. And it's mindset. I feel like how you approach work is how you approach relationships, friendships, your personal life, your connection with yourself. So if you think you're worthy of not asking for a raise, how does that manifest in other elements of your life? I'm sure that work comes up a lot for you. Percent. I mean, I've had women who, you know, they'll come and join because they're having, you know, they, they find out they're not getting paid as much as somebody else at their office or whatever. And then by the end of it, they're like breaking up with their boyfriends, right? Like, yes. well, it's because you raise the standards for yourself. You're like, all right, I deserve better and more. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, not just there in that part of my life. How about in that part? But for a long time, I really did think it was lack of information that people had. Like if we could just teach them, here's why investing is important. Here's where to invest. Here's how to invest that people would do it. And I was finding in the community that they were saying they were excited and then they weren't following through. And I was also seeing it even in my own life where I wasn't like investing the way that I should be. And I went and I got my master's certificate specifically in behavioral finance and financial psychology. Because that often was the roadblock. It was a scarcity mindset. If you felt like you didn't have enough money to invest, you wouldn't invest, even if the numbers were there. So I, and and just also looking at my own personal interests, I'm actually not even really driven by money. My wife and co-founder definitely is like, she's the embodiment of like a traditional ladies get paid person. She actually started her. I'm really here more as the, how to just make you feel again, worthy of it. Right. Uh, And if you have roadblocks to be able to examine it in in a more holistic way, because I do find a lot of us, we learn these things, but we don't implement. And then we self-blame. I'm, I should know this. Why am I not doing it? There's a lot of layers to it. Mm-hmm. And what is a question we can ask as a gut check? What if we don't even know we're going through life with a scarcity mindset? What's kind of a plug-in we can use to kind of assess our current state? I mean, I think it's if there's ever any resistance in your life, right, to, to something, whether you're not doing a thing that you know instinctually you should, or you feel paralyzed, you can't make a decision, or there's like a ickiness, like really getting in touch with your instinct and intuition uh, is, is so crucial. And then just trying to say to yourself, can I remember a time, other times when this has come up, I mean, this is where the sort of deep therapy work comes in, right? My joke is buy the ladies, get paid book, but also get a therapist because it's often the unraveling of the memories where this begin, right? Uh, What is at the core of this? And then now when does it get triggered? And is there an alternative way to look at it? 
and also something actionable I can do in the moment to remember that I am older now. And then money could be, by the way, like $10 that you put in the investing. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of times we look at this stuff in, in a binary, like you can only do something if you're rich. And that's just not true. Yeah, it's not. And I think that's what stumps people. And I'm certainly an all or nothing person. I feel like if I can't buy the whole thing or if I can't do it all, then I love that, by the way. That's an amazing water bottle. <laughs> I it's a game changer. I know. Here, I need top, that. Top purchases in my life. It's yes. like a, you know, a $15 water bottle. See, you don't have to have much money to improve your quality of life. <laughs> link it. We'll link it. You have to send me it because I genuinely am inspired by that. So you also just went on a pretty important and are going through a big financial journey, life journey. So I'd love to hear from you because that kind of embodies everything that you've kind of led up to in this moment, right? Oh, yes. So I, so I'm pregnant and congratulations. Thank you. It's not like I I couldn't just snap my fingers and get pregnant because I'm married to a woman. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of steps and expensive steps that are involved from, you know, getting the donor, but you don't just like pay for the donor. You have to like pay for storage, you know, for, for the donor sperm. Uh, they recommend a certain number of vials if you want to have more than one kid. Wow. Uh, and, you know, you don't know if you're going to use them. Like it's a lot of it is uh, sort of guesstimating with your wallet. And by the way, I wrote an article about the financial implications of getting pregnant when you're a lesbian. And we can link to that go through in, in detail and, and I actually interviewed uh, the head of the cryobank uh, because sperm is like the cost of sperm has gone up. Um, so just wanted to understand uh, from their end, like, why is this so expensive? Blah, blah, blah. And there's IUI versus IVF. I, I froze my eggs. We never ended up use, having to use them, but. Oh, really? Oh, wait, yeah, go into I, that for a sec. How? So, well, I, so I froze my eggs. I did too, by the way, I've done a lot of content around that. <laughs> Yeah. And I did content too. And and, and in full disclosure, um, it was in a partnership with Extend Fertility. Mm -hmm. So they waived the fee of freezing my eggs um, in content creation. So um, I always just like to, you know, Mm -hmm. this stuff is all very expensive and I've been fortunate that I can leverage my platform and, you know, use education and also help my family's wallet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I froze my eggs at 30, at age 32 and then at age uh, 36, started the process of getting pregnant, but decided not, we would only use the frozen eggs if we were going to do IVF. And the oh. recommendation to us was to not start with IVF, but rather IUI, intrauterine insertion, mm-hmm. which is basically just sex with the doctor. <laughs> like it's it's just a more precise, timed uh turkey baster method. Okay. And it's lower cost, right. And low, you know, it's just, you take some fertility drugs, which of course those cost money too, but it took the third try for it to work. And we only had bought so many vials of sperm. Um, we didn't buy as many as they had recommended it. We just felt it was too expensive and we wanted to gamble a little bit. And partly the reason we wanted, to, we were okay with gambling is because we knew by the fourth vial, fourth try, if the IUI didn't work, we would do IVF and I'd already frozen my eggs. Right. So that half the process or a huge part of the process of IVF was done and actually paid for, you know, which was really nice. And we only needed one vial of sperm for all of the eggs if they had been frozen, right? That's versus IUI. They, you have one vial, 
and you hope something sticks. But with IVF, it's so precise. You only actually need one vial. But you don't know any of this stuff until you start going through it, right? Like there were no classes on this. This was all conversation and calculations made, you know, between my wife and I, between the doctor, talking to other people who'd gone through it. It's such a personal decision. So therefore there's not a right or wrong way to do it. But I think knowing um, options are really, you know, that that's good to know. Right. Um, and and having a community who of other people who are like, I've been there, you know, will this work? Because every time we did IUI, you know, it was like, all right, $2,000, you know, and then nothing. Uh, and, and of course they tell you, please don't get stressed. Like the, you know, it's like the more stressed and anxious you are, the less likely it'll work. And the more likely you will be stressed when they tell yeah. you that. I went up on my Lexapro. That was Love. great. So then we got the two for one fertility deal, meaning I got twins. So, oh uh, my God. Although the real full story is I got triplets and one of them did not develop. Oh my God. But of course there, there was that moment in the first ultrasound where she goes, so there's three. We see our lives and our bank accounts like flash before us. Yeah. Like three was not the number that we, that was not in our budgeting or our life vision. That's not on the vision board and not three at once, but it one never developed. And then it just, it's fine. We're happy about it. We're good. Did you mourn it or or you, you just felt zero attachment? I felt, I felt sorry. It was just a bunch of cells. Yeah. It's exactly. not, but yeah. We, I felt sad. It's like, at first I was like, no, 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 no. And then they're like, it's not developing. And I was like, oh, I, I just felt sorry for it. Like, oh, yeah. you like you're, you, you tried, but it didn't make it. But yeah, I mean, two, so, you know, there'll be a different financial calculus that comes with that. But at the same time, we just kind of got lucky from that fertility perspective because now we don't have to try to get pregnant again. You're done. Go- that entire process, which of course, you know, forget financial, just huge emotional and physical component to it. So, and especially because I'll be 37 when I give birth. So, and they always make you feel great about how old you are. Geriatric uh, pregnancy yeah, at 37. They're not using, yeah, they're not using that word anymore. But it, it was interesting with the two. At first it felt like that's, oh my gosh, we're going to have to spend so much more money up front. But then we actually realized there's savings in that. Yeah. <laughs> we, getting pregnant again perspective because we had always wanted to anyway. So check back with me when I'm less <sighs> and reality has hit. How are you feeling physically right now? I'm uh, good. I'm in 12 weeks and it was nausea, vomit, hell from five to 11. Yeah. And oh, the sun emerged. I got a little bump and I'm really just Aww. enjoying the time between, you know, when the bump is adorable as opposed to frighteningly enormous. So. <laughs> The biggest thing I think I've learned in all this is A, to trust my body, which I have struggled with in years past. Yeah. And really be in the moment because I can tell it's like, I, I want to enjoy myself. And then I think, oh, Claire, it's going to get really hard. Wait, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And by the time we get there, you'll learn hacks of how to handle it. Just yeah. like the non I learned hacks for how to handle it. To sort of have kind of trust in yourself that you're clever enough to figure this out slash get the support you need when things do become hard. I'm trying to just soak up as much life lessons as possible during this time because I am finding my productivity at work is 
gone down. Sorry, ladies get paid. But that's okay. You know, I think women are so hard on themselves and are so quick to apologize for not being productive when you're literally carrying two children inside of you right now. Yep. Different definition of productivity, right? Yeah. We were just talking about it earlier of, you know, for five weeks, I sort of was immobile. I was that nauseous. And I was being like, I'm doing nothing. I'm doing, you know, I'm not doing anything. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm making bones inside my body. <laughs> I'm making a brain and not only a brain, I'm breaking two brains. Like, in fact, this time of lack of productivity is the most productive I've ever been. It's just not me in terms of like, I ego self. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. My body's doing it. And that's where, again, that the life lesson of like, learning to relate and to trust yourself in different ways, I think is so valuable beyond what I'm experiencing now. And just on another kind of like moving in a bit of a different direction, are what are the types of conversations you've had with your wife as it relates to babies and budgeting and just like overall shifting, having these difficult or, you know, having these real life financial conversations? Because it's not just the two of you. Now you're incorporating a family life. What are your what have you gone through? What are your recommendations for people navigating this process as it relates to finances? Yeah, I think first get in touch with as many people as possible who are in similar situations to you. So like the first thing I did was like, who do I know who's a twin mom or putting, you know, hey, who out there knows somebody who's a twin mom and trading stories, just like learning from other people as best as you can, just asking questions of like, what do you wish you'd known, do's and don'ts you know, what, what's worth spending the money on, what's not, you know, just getting the information from other people who are in similar situations is key. And then I think systems, I mean, this is the same advice I give to anybody for their career or whatever. It's like, make life easier for yourself by creating, whether it's using, you know, Notion or Airtable or, you know, these third-party platforms where you can just store all information so it's not swirling around in your head um, is so is so key. And just breaking it down, right? Like you're going to want to do everything all at once or feel compo- you know, compelled to do that. But to say this is really big and it's a marathon, I'm going to be raising a child. Like this is not just the next couple of months. Like this is long haul. Yeah. So what are really, what are sustainable ways that I can start tackling this? And that might be, only spending 30 minutes doing research on a given day based on something, right? And that's it. Don't do anything else. Forcing yourself to stop, constantly questioning, constantly gut checking is what I'm doing sustainable in all of this. I'm going to read all the books. No, you're not. Read one book and only read one chapter and actually 15 minutes and go to sleep because that's important too, right? Mm-hmm. So really the micro stepping along the way is is so key. But I do think systems are going to be very important for us, especially with twins and thinking about even like the feeding schedule, right? Having it in a set place, putting calendar alerts and then tweaking it, knowing, hey, this is what we thought would work. But now that we're in it, we got to rearrange things. Same thing with the budget. Hey, we thought this was what was going to be important. And now I'm realizing we you know, there's an emergency here or actually that's less important or whatever. So having a built-in reflection and to evaluate your systems and your finances is also key. And that just leads me to the broader question of budgeting. Cause I feel like even from a young age, I've been taught, not taught, but like budgeting was viewed. And I think obviously it's different now. We're really embracing the concept of budgeting, but it used to be this kind of weighty stigmatized thing 
that you have to sacrifice everything in your life. So what are your rules around budgeting and how often should we be visiting our finances? Is it weekly? Is it daily? Do you have top bird's eye view of like how we should be navigating this? I think you're spot on. Budgets feel oftentimes for folks restrictive. Mm -hmm. And instead I would say, look at it as kind of goal facilitation. Um, It comes down to knowing yourself and what your values are and your priorities too. So it's not making a budget of, of the shoulds or expectations of others, but really looking at, you know, and, and by the way, the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich is excellent for this. It's also a Netflix. Somewhere. Yeah, where he really is like, how, you know, how do you create a rich life? First, you have to define it for yourself. What is your rich life? My joke earlier of like, you know, hey, this water bottle really improved my quality of life. It costs like 12 bucks, right? So if you, you know, do your due diligence first on self-reflection of what your basic needs are in your life, what, you know, helps you thrive, environments, and and don't start making financial sacrifices just yet, okay? Just really, like, dig into that stuff first. And then you can take a look at, you know, from what you make. I mean, the, a rule of thumb is that about 50% of it should go to your needs, about 30% should go to your wants, and about 20% should go towards paying off debt and savings. Of course, those percentages can and should be changed based on your, your own life. It's personal. Um, but that's one way to, to at least tackle the bird's eye view of what's coming in and what more you might need to make and where you might want to cut down. Just again, always going back to like, what do you actually care about uh, in your life? Uh, and you may find, listen, it's actually not, I thought it was closed. It used to be closed. Not, not anymore. It's more of it. Maybe it's a vacation now, or mm-hmm. I don't really need to spend much, but it's important to me that I get to work from home. So I'm okay to take a lower paycheck because I have a remote job, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of cadence, it's whatever's going to make you the least anxious. Yeah. So if never checking your bank account actually makes you anxious because you're always thinking about it. All right, we got to start checking it. But if constantly checking it is making you anxious, that's not good either. So maybe start out with something like a once a week, you might not need it. So then it's a once a month, but make sure you're giving yourself something fun related to the budget. Like you have this goal of a thing that you want, like a prenatal massage and like, maybe it's not in the budget for this month. So could you make a little game for yourself of like, where can I cut down next month to start saving up for that prenatal massage? But if anything feels like restrictive and awful, like that's no quality of life again. So that was my long-winded answer. No, I love it. And I I mean, you're just inspiring so many other questions for me. We're living in a generation of passion, right? We all want to be entrepreneurial to some extent and be, you know, living these really expansive lives. How important is it in your mind to have financial stability and maybe versus loving what you do? Very good question. That's for me in particular, because I grew up with parents who loved what they did for a living, Mm -hmm. um, but like didn't necessarily make that much money. My mom worked in the opera and my dad worked in publishing. However, in their jobs, those jobs had lifestyles built into it that spoke to their values and quality of life. Like they were constantly hosting like dinner parties with interesting people. Like what they had access to was people like networks and information. And so there was so much privilege in that. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, I would go over to friends, house, like my friends' homes would have like mansions, right? Like 
but like they, the parents hated what they did. Right. So I, I always sort of looked at this as like, you can be rich in so many different ways. And again, it goes back to like, what is your, what are your values? And then what are your priorities in those values? And can you not have it all, but have it all at different stages of your life? So for example, when I first moved to New York, I had $300 in my bank account and I lived on my cousin's couch in the Bronx, right? Yeah. And and got a job at a restaurant and like long story short, like I didn't feel the need to have a nice home for a very long time, like lived in shitholes in New York. That was not important to me. What was important to me was exploring myself, exploring the city. Now, listen, I could only do that because I had the privilege of knowing if I needed to go home to my parents, I could have dependents. I wasn't, you know, helping them pay off a mortgage or no health issues. Right. So there's always the layer of privilege in, in this conversation that needs to be acknowledged. Um, but then things are changing, right? Like us having kids, I've raised my standards of living. Like, we are so I raise my prices. Like, but am I sacrificing what I do for a living? No. I figured out a way to make the money I need and love what I do and have the yeah. lifestyle I want. So I can show you that it is possible, but also not everybody needs and wants to absolutely love what they do. Like sometimes a paycheck is just a paycheck. And it can yeah. be very exhausting to be so passionate about your work, to work for yourself. Because then you have arts and turning it off. So there are pros and cons to every single choice that you make. And obviously, going back to what we were saying earlier about the the wage gap, the gender pay gap. And if you can just quickly define it for us, because maybe we live it every day, but we don't actually know what it is. Sure. Yeah. So it's been recorded since I think 63 when the Equal Pay Act was enacted. So just as a definition, it's calculated by dividing national median income of a full-time year-round working woman by the national median income of a full-time year-round working man. man. Here's the thing, though, that needs to be noted. It really depends on a lot of factors, including what industry you're in, what role you're in, if what the color of your skin, if you're single, uh, where you live. Okay. So you might be in some scenarios where men and women are paid pretty equally, actually. And then in certain situations, all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're going, oh my gosh, how, how is this even possible? How are they paid so so little? Unfortunately, that can get weaponized by those who believe the wage gap doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, it's as simple as, well, women choose lower paying jobs. But you can also make the argument of, well, why does a maid get paid less than a janitor? And maids tend to be women, right? And janitors tend to be men. Or in a school system, Teachers get paid less than the principal and the superintendent makes sense. But how come the majority of teachers are women and the majority of principals and superintendents are men? Or historically, you can look at industries like technology. There were more women in it. It was low paid. Over time, more men began to dominate the tech industry. Wages went up. Interior decorating, guess what? Used to be dominated by men, higher paid. All of a sudden, women started dominating the industry, became lower paid. Therefore, it's more of a question of what kind of work we value and who does that work and why do some roles get paid more than others? Is it because we think that role is worth more or the kind of person who does that role? So you could look at this and say it's very complicated and overwhelming and we're screwed, or we could be more optimistic and say there's actually a lot of ways that we can improve this. 
there, you know, because it isn't just flipping a switch and making it better. That'd be great. But if that's not possible, we can now approach it from various angles of whether it's getting more women into, you know, construction jobs that pay a lot, you know, tech. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, though, if I had to pick one thing, it's paid family leave. If we could improve paid family leave in this country, uh, as well as have universal child care, you would see a lot less women drop out of the workforce and then struggle to on-ramp back in and then catch up with the wages because the wage gap really does begin overall when a woman has her first child. When a man has his first child, he usually gets a pay bump. So even though I've started by saying there's a lot of variables that go into this and it's highly contextual, if you want to hang your hat on one thing, it does come down to it's having children that makes women make less money, which is really unfortunate because kids cost so much money when we actually need them to be making more. And women are more likely to quit their job when they have a child. I think it's a combination. I think it's that they look at how much it costs for childcare and how much they're currently making. And they realize uh, it's more financially savvy for them to just stay home in the short term, but in the long term. And when they go back to work, they're going to have hard, they'll never catch up. So something else that's really important to note is when women are making money, we do such good things with it. We're so much more charitable. We're, we invest in purpose-driven companies. So what is our hope for you know, turning the tables around? What do you see as a good next step for women who are hearing this and want to get empowered in their own lives financially and step up in that way? First of all, again, join Lays Get Paid or join a community of other folks that they're going to hold you accountable and they're also going to keep you going from an emotional standpoint. Best thing you can do, though, if you have a 401k match at your company, please, please max it out. Otherwise, you're leaving free money on the table, okay? Also, please check on any sort of silly things you're spending money on in terms of like late fees, right? With interest or, you know, stop. You're bleeding money and you don't have to. Please stop those. And if you haven't asked for a raise, find me, ladiesgetpaid.com or ladiesgetpaid on all social channels or me on Instagram at Claire Gets Paid. <laughs> and do you have a quick hot tip for here for salary negotiation? Just like a quick rapid talk fire moment. Yeah, just talk to white men about how much they make. And I know that that might be awkward, but they want to be allies. So tell them you're doing research, show them the research you did. I think I should be making good X and Y. You know, you'd be being a great ally. Am I off base? And you got nothing to lose other than money if you don't ask. So start doing real market research, not just glass door, but actual people. And it starts with the numbers. You'll feel confident when, when you know you have numbers to back it up and track your wins, please. How you're contributing to the company. How are you making them money? How are you saving them money? This also includes contributing to the company culture. Okay. Track it now. Start talking about it now. You wait until it's time for the negotiation or time for the performance valuation, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. So those are some first next steps. Hopefully that was helpful. It was so helpful. And lastly, you're given a lump of some, somebody leaves you a small inheritance, you placed a bet and you won. What do you do with that money? Do you put into your savings or do you pay off your debt? I would, I mean, high yield savings account, first of all, so not just any savings account, but a high yield savings account. Make sure you have at least three to six months in it. And then yes, put it in an investment account. It's going to make compound interest over time, which is another word for free money over time. So you don't want to just be living in a, like, I'm only paying off debt. I just don't want, I mean, why would we pay interest? Like, let's not make credit card companies or these loan companies any richer than they ha- than we have to, right? Mm-hmm. So again, make sure you're not, you know, losing money on interest and things like that. But 
don't lose out on the free money either by not investing. So good. Mutual fund, by the way, mutual fund. Mutual fund, which we can learn about at Ladies Get Paid. Yes. Yeah. Come to our blog. Do something. Investing is not gambling if you're doing a mutual fund. That's so helpful. We're guaranteed a return over time, over a long time. You have to be willing to not see your money for a while, but you will absolutely make money from investing. Amazing. And we end every show with this question, which is, what are you sorry for apologizing for? I actually am going to flip the script, which is very annoying, but I'm going to say, I'm sorry to have not apologized to myself about how harsh I've been, how hard Mm -hmm. I am on so many aspects. So I actually think I deserve an apology myself. I love it. That's so good. And so where can people find you one last time? Ladiesgetpaid.com, clairewasserman.com. Ladies get paid on all social channels and Claire gets paid on Instagram. Thank you so much, Claire. You're amazing. And I can't wait to see this journey with your two babies. Me too. I hope they're cute. (laughs) They will be. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Thanks, Missy. I appreciate you and all your work. Thank you for listening to Sorry for Apologizing, brought to you by Rescripted. If you enjoyed this week's episode, be sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our amazing guests. To stay in the know, follow me at Missy Modell on Instagram and TikTok or head to Rescripted.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Subscribe.